Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. I want to talk today, this is just like, I call this a tweener sermon. This is what this is. We're between series. We're getting ready to turn the corner and head into Easter. And I've got some really good stuff, I think, that you'll really appreciate coming up as we go into Easter. And, And I just, as we talk about Easter Be thinking and praying now about who you're going to ask to come be with us. There are people in your world that want to go to church and are waiting on you to ask them. I guarantee it. There's somebody in your world that wants you to ask them to go to church, and they're just waiting on an invitation. They will not come if you do not ask them. So be praying about it. Hold it up to God. God, help me with this. Tell me who. And and then come with them. Sit with them. Help them in any way you can. Assure them that we are not going to make them stand up or do bad things to them or talk bad about them or anything like that we're going to love them so um, be thinking about that and be preparing for our easter season i want to talk to you today about real jesus and basically the subtitle to this would be jesus my best friend he wants to relate to you personally you know we we do this thing as as um, humans we develop nicknames for one another right you have a nickname some of you have a nickname i have had one or two in my lifetime i've got one for kyle that i careful where i say it because not everybody needs to know the origination of that name but um you know we develop these names for one another these nicknames and they're terms of endearment they're things that we use to show that someone is special to us and um maybe you've got one and and nicknames are really something more that that guys do more than girls i mean if you know if you got four guys that are eating dinner around the supper table at applebee's you're liable to hear a nickname across the table you know bubba or whatever i don't know what kind of nicknames you guys have but but you don't typically think that when you think about the girls being out right you don't think about four girls four ladies having dinner at applebee's and you know one of them looking across the table at the other one and saying hey spike could you hand me the you know or or you know whatever you know uh, hey, hey, big heels, could you hand me the, the salt? We just, you don't think about girls talking that way. It's kind of a guy thing. And it's a big thing in sports. If you ever listen, especially to baseball players, if you hear them talking about um, the clubhouse and you hear them talking about guys in the clubhouse, you, you almost always, if you hear a baseball player talk about the guys in the clubhouse, they never use their real name. There's always some nickname. It's got a Y on the end of it or something crazy like that but they're they're all you know initials or something but it's almost like an unwritten rule that if you're going to play baseball you can't have you can't use your real name there's got to be a nickname associated with it and so nicknames sometimes describe us better than our real names do jesus had a given name matthew 1 verse 21 she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name jesus that's his name jesus because He will save his people from their sins. Jesus was actually a fairly common name in the time of Christ, and and even to this day is a common name among the Latin community. There's lots of people that have the the name J-E-S-U-S. Remember when I was a little kid, about 10 years old, collecting baseball cards? I had baseball cards with the names J-E-S-U-S Cruz on it. And the name um, Alu jesus alu i didn't know that they said it jesus and i you know being a good christian boy i didn't like it that somebody else was trying to steal jesus name like that and so i didn't like jesus cruz and i didn't like jesus alu very much 
Like, you scoundrels taking Jesus' name like that. I'm not even going to say your name. And then, you know, finally I heard him on the television and they called him Jesus. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. And so then I grew up and realized it's okay for somebody else to have Jesus' name. In fact, it's a very common name. A lot of people have it even to this day. But then you come two verses later and you hear this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they're going to call him something other than Jesus. They didn't use his name. They're going to nickname him. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why? Because one of the most unique characteristics to them about Jesus wasn't the fact that he was someone who would save us from our sins, although that's a big deal but that they were celebrating something more than that, something so different and so real. They were saying, no longer will we worship God in this box. We're not going to worship the Ark of the Covenant anymore, and we're not going to get all hung up on worshiping the Ten Commandments per se, and, and you know wherever this box goes, we, it's not going to be about that. God is with us, is what they were saying. And a lot of you are sitting in this room today, and you call him Jesus, and rightfully so, and that's a great name, and that's one, that is certainly his name. But my goal today is to have you leave here thinking more about him as Emmanuel than you do about him as Jesus. My goal today is to bring him up close and personal with you. Jesus is God with us. God with skin. He is God up close and personal. The theologians say it this way, he is the God-man. Now, I can't explain that to you. I'm not, I, I don't know how God could put Jesus, put himself in a human form and send him to earth and him be sinless. I don't understand all that. I wish I could because I could solve a lot of debates and discussions if I could figure that out. Uh, I don't know that anybody fully understands how that all works, that, that Jesus was fully God and fully human. That's just one of those mysteries we're going to have to wait until we get to heaven before we really know. But that's in reality what Jesus was. And today I want to talk to you about the one who came up close and personal to us. John chapter 1 verse 1 refers to him and 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 i'm just going to tell you jesus is my best friend and i want to talk to him to you about him in that way today john chapter 1 verse 14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us earlier in john 1 1 we're, we figure out that the word is jesus and then it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and here's why that's so important because Jesus didn't just come to teach on a hillside and try and get us to follow the right way and then go off and die on the cross and and pay for our sins. In fact, there is way more to his life than that. And that's not even really what he did most of his life. He didn't even start doing the stuff that we know him most for until he was 30 years old. And he only spent three years doing the ministry stuff, which is really what we know him the most for. From, 30, from birth until 30, he spent his life doing something much different. He lived. He experienced life. He went through life the way you and I go through life. He had much many of the same circumstances and encounters. In fact, as far as we know, he didn't heal anybody. He didn't uh, do any miracles. The Bible says that uh, the wedding at Cana where he turned water into wine was really his first miracle. So it wasn't like when he was 14 out, you know, behind the shed somewhere. He's got his buddies around saying, hey, guys, watch this, you know. He didn't do that. He just was a regular guy. He lived life like anybody else would have lived life. And he was just being human. He was being a person. And he was making sure that he experienced everything about life so that he could relate 
to you and to me. In fact, he spent most of his life as a carpenter. That was his dad's profession, and he spent most of his life in the wood shop working with customers and, and doing his, you know, his woodworking thing before he ever taught anything, before he ever healed anybody, before he ever did a miracle or died on the cross, he lived life. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says this, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful, merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Now let's stop for a minute. Why did he come like he did? You know where Jesus is right now? The Bible tells us that he is seated at the right hand of God. Before he did that, he needed to go through every detail of life. He needed to experience what we would experience and know what we know and see it the way we see it so that he could then go to God and represent us as the great high priest. The second part of verse 17 says this, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted now i'm afraid that i just read through that and you didn't hear it so i want to go back and i want to say it again because i want you to lock in to what this verse is telling us about jesus listen to what this verse tells you he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted he experienced it all. You say, well, Brett, what's it? He experienced life. He went through life. He, he had pain. He had testing. You say, why? So that he would be able to help when help was needed. So that he would be able to identify with you and with me. So that when you go through a temptation, he could say, you know what? I know what that's like. See, we read the word temptation. I think we get to the place where we say, you know, I, I don't think Jesus was tempted like I was. Listen. It has gotten me through life sometimes falling back on the idea that Jesus understands what I'm experiencing right now. He understands the temptation I, I face. He understands the, the, the way I'm perceiving the world. He, he understands it. That's gotten me through many times. He wanted to make sure when you pray, when you come to him, that he would understand what you go through. It was very, very important to him. And honestly, so many people don't seem that way, and you only... You know, see him as the one who's on the cross or you think about him as the one who's gone to heaven and he's this distant god but you need to know him as your friend the one who completely understands what you go through in life if you're going to sympathize with somebody in life and and someone who's going through something your level of comfort can only be to the degree that you have experienced that yourself you're limited i mean if you if you have not had the same experience you're going to have some limits. If you're trying to help somebody who has cancer, but you've never had cancer, then you're going to be limited in what you're going to be able to offer that person. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't care. It doesn't mean that you can't be supportive. It doesn't mean that you can't be a good friend. But if you're someone who's been through cancer and you know what it's like to have chemo and you know what it's like to have that, that, that sick kind of feeling and that feeling where you don't feel like moving or doing anything and you know it better than anybody who hasn't had it, then you're better equipped. You're better able to talk to the person who's going through that and say, you know what, I know what that's like, and I know today's a really hard day for you. You bring sympathy and understanding and a whole different level of understanding because you know firsthand, I know what it's like. I've been with you at the loss of some of your parents. 
Some of you, I've been with you at the loss of your children. And, and I love you, and I, I want to be a good pastor, and I want to be able to dispense grace and, and help, and I want to help you grieve and all that. But to be super honest with you, there are times I see you going through things that I have never been through. Both my parents are still alive and fairly healthy. My kids are healthy. I, I've never experienced anything like that. So when you, <coughs> excuse me, I've got a tickle this morning. <coughs> when you go through those times, I care deeply. And it, it hurts me to watch you hurt. And I don't like to see you cry. And there are times I watch you cry and I cry with you. But there are a lot of times that I, I go through things with you and I don't know what it feels like. And not that I wish that I have gone through it because that, of what that means for me personally but I do wish that I could better empathize with you sometimes when you go through some of the things you go through um, I wouldn't pretend to, to even act like I know what it's like to lose someone like some of you have lost there's just nothing in life that you've been through though that Jesus hasn't been through he knows what it's like and I'm, I'm open to show that to you this morning that's what he did with the first 30 years of his life. He just kind of lived life and he tried to have the experiences that we have. Before he ever taught, before he ever did miracles, before he ever hung on the cross, before he ever paid for our sins or died or shared anything, he was living. He was going through stuff and he understands. So I want to give you three things this morning that Jesus understands. First of all, Jesus understands relationships. You need to understand that. Jesus understands relationships. Jesus had a family. Listen to this. This is Mark chapter 6. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And this is the only place in Scripture where we're given their names. So we know he had these brothers, and, and, and we know he, we had some sisters, and it's plural because it goes on to say, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So Jesus had six siblings. Now, if you have kids, more than a couple... Or you come from a house that had kids and, and you, you know there's something going on. You, if you come from a house with kids in any capacity, you know that in Jesus' house with seven kids in the house, there was stuff going on, right? You know Jesus got duct taped to the chair, right? You know that. You know as a kid that some things happened. To, you, you know that somebody came running into the kitchen, Mom, Jesus thinks he's perfect. And you think he's perfect too, you know. You like him better than us. Well, he's Jesus. I kind of have to, you know. I mean, <laughs> you know stuff like that went on. You know he dealt with, with those kind of things just like we have. And I, I'm going to tell you a story. Maybe you've heard me tell this. This is, my sister hates it when I tell this story on her. But when I was a little guy, first of all, when I was first born, my sister hated my guts, okay. I was the second child which means I spoiled her only child parade. She was four, and I showed up, and I was male, and my dad was really happy about that. And so she watched all these people come gather around the bassinet and talk about how pretty I was, and she didn't think I was pretty at all and didn't, wasn't impressed. You know, she's like, I don't know why all these people are standing around looking at, at you. And so one time she took a pencil, I'm told, and ran it across my face, was going to write her name on my face to make sure everybody knew, you know, she'd been there. And I survived, obviously. But, but then there's this story, and this is like the famous story from my childhood. When, when this is back in the day when they made a, when a box fan was a box fan. You know what I'm talking about? Metal, 
metal blades, metal grate, metal case, all of it metal, okay? Heavy, rascal. And we lived in a two-story house, an old two-story house, and out this one window, it overlooked our, our driveway and out in the front part of our house. And so the fan was up in the window running. It was a nice summer day, I guess. And my mom had had company, and she was seeing the company off. She was getting in the car, and she'd walk this lady to the car and was going to say goodbye. She had left my sister and me in the house, and I was apparently old enough to walk around, and apparently she wasn't afraid I was going to fall down the steps, but I was not very big. And this is also in the day when they had, when a, when a yardstick was a yardstick. You know what I'm talking about? Thick yardstick, heavy, the kind you used to beat your kids with. That's the kind, right? Not the kind that you, if you hit them with it, it breaks. Not one of those, one of the thunder sticks, you know, one of those kind. So my sister knows that my mom has gone outside, and she has this yardstick in her hand, and she sees the fan. So she decides it would be a great idea to just ram the yardstick into the fan. Well, the fan starts chewing up the yardstick and making this awful racket, and my mom is down underneath this window. She turns around and looks and knows where the sound's coming from, so she's running into the house, and you can hear her coming up the steps. Well, my sister panicked. And I'm standing there, you know, just kind of wandering around. And she puts the yardstick in my hands <laughs> and left the room. And so when mom rounds the corner, here I am, little guy, you know, standing there with the yardstick in my hand. I get beat to within an inch of my life. And I'm told that at 16, my, my sister finally confessed at 16, mom, it was me that did the yardstick thing. So you know that Jesus had those kind of things going on in his world. You, you know I mean, if he had brothers and sisters, there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening with those guys. He knows what you go through. For those of you who are, are single in the room, he knows what it's like to be single. He knows what it's like to, to be alone and to, and to think, man, I wish I could just talk to somebody about this. He knows what it's like to, to, to long for someone. I think he knows what that feels like. That means he understands what it means to be attracted to someone and, and, you know, have to say no. He understands that. He gets it. The Bible says he was tempted at all points, and he knows what it's like to be us. And some, some of you are thinking, yeah, Brett, but I know something he doesn't know. He doesn't know what it's like to be married. Got you on that one, Pastor, because he don't know what it was to be married. Well, not so fast, because the Bible tells me that it calls him the groom and the church, the bride of Christ. And so I would suggest to you that not only does he know what it is to be married, he knows what it is for his bride to step out on him every day of his life. He knows what it is to be cheated on. He knows what it is to want a, a, a beautiful relationship and to not be able to have it because people just won't get in line they just won't do what he wants them to do he knows what it's like to have friends who betray him at his most critical moment if there ever was a moment that he needed peter probably one of the closest of his disciples to him if there was ever a time when he really needed him at the most critical moment peter was heard to say i don't know who he is <laughs> i've never heard of him don't know the guy never heard his name wouldn't know him if i saw him that was what Peter was doing. When Jesus needed him the most, 
Peter was checking out at his most critical hour. Why did all that happen? So that we would have some great drama in Scripture, so that we would have great stories to tell and preachers could get up and talk about the time that they, they, didn't, they wouldn't identify themselves with Jesus. Is that why that happened in Scripture? No. It happened so that he would be able to identify with you and with me. So that he would know when you get betrayed by somebody, he would know what that feels like. So that when you come to him in prayer and you say, God, you're going to have to help me make sense of this because this hurts really bad and I don't understand it and I'm pretty ticked off right now, Jesus can say, you know what? I know what that feels like. Yeah, I remember when I was about to be crucified and my best friend wanted nothing to do with me. I know what it's like to be in a real hardship and have somebody just completely walk away. So he understands. Mark 3, 21, when his family heard about this, the Bible describes a time when his family thought he was crazy. When his family heard about this and he was starting to do some ministry things, he was actually casting a demon out of somebody at this particular time. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him and they were just going to kind of grab Jesus and say, excuse us, he's not quite right. Okay, come on, Jesus, let's come on over here. All right. No. Almost had family apologizing for him for the way he was acting. They thought he was crazy. They said he is out of his mind. Can you imagine? Imagine. Have you ever wanted somebody to believe in you? Have you ever wanted somebody to say, man, I, I believe the best about you. I believe you can do it. I know you can do it. You ever wanted that and not been able to have it and not have people believe in, the, in you the way you need them to? Jesus knows what that feels like. He knows what it is to be the Son of God, and people say, you're not the Son of God. I don't believe in you. So he understands relationships. He also understands life. He understands everyday life. He understands what you go through. He understands when you get up in the morning and you start dressing yourself for work and you're buttoning up those buttons and you, and you give that sigh, I just wish I could go back to bed. Man, I don't want to go through this day. And when I get to work, it's just going to be awful. We left things in a mess the other day, and it's going to be waiting on me when I get there. And I do not want to have to go through that. He understands. You know why he understands? Because he had a job. One of the things that bugs me is all the pictures I see of Jesus, especially the ones I, I remember from my childhood. There was a picture that when I was in Miss Christian's class as a wee little boy, you know, we were in that Christian church the first christian church in campbellsburg kentucky and it was like down in the basement it was cold i remember the window was up high and and uh, we had the play-doh and the, and the the crayons you know and the flannel graph and all that stuff and i remember this picture being on the wall and basically jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes you know and and for the longest time i thought that's what jesus looked like i, I thought well that's jesus now we don't know what jesus looked like but you know, if a man spends 18 years of his life working as a carpenter, and that's far more time than he spent doing ministry, we think that he started probably doing woodworking about 12. In the Jewish culture, you became a man at 12. You were considered an adult. So if he worked from 12 until the time he was 30, that's 18 years. That's six times as long as he spent doing ministry. Wouldn't it make sense that the pictures that you saw of Jesus would reflect a man who was tough, who knew how to, uh, you know, who wore a tool belt kind of thing, you know, jeans and a tool belt and a T-shirt. That, you know, just kind of a, a man's man, a guy that, that was tough, had calluses on his hands. 
not some milky white skin flowing robe kind of weird looking thing like we've got pictures of it, it would look more like this I, when I was um, when I was a senior in college I was with my mom at a, at a Christian bookstore and I was getting ready to graduate and I said mom I, I want that picture she said, well, why, why is that one so special to you? What, what's so, why that one? And I said, well, I mean, and I'm not, I know that's not probably what Jesus looked like, but, but at least that picture shows Jesus the way I envision Jesus, working with a piece of wood and not some weak person. It, it shows Jesus as somebody real. It shows Jesus as somebody that I could relate to, somebody that, that maybe... Um, you know, had a callus or two on his hands and some muscles in his arms and, and the ability to, to do some. You know, I, I see Jesus with a tool belt on. I see Jesus with, with calluses on his hands. You know, I see Jesus nailing with a real hammer, not a nail gun, guys, right? He did it the old-fashioned way. I see Jesus with a rip saw, not with a, not with a, a circular saw. You know, none of that. He was tough. He had calluses. He, he worked hard. I see Jesus working a piece of wood and then having to stop and catch his breath for a minute and pick up that piece of wood and start back in on it. We think of Jesus as this soft-spoken, mealy-mouthed kind of guy, this, 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 this guy that was weak. No. I think Jesus was tough. I don't think Jesus was anybody that, that you know, would be a, a pushover, somebody that you just would, would dismiss easily. I think that you would, if you saw Jesus, you would probably respect him. You know, just that, wow, this, this guy's pretty strong. I think Jesus had to deal with customers who didn't like things. Maybe a customer that came back and said, hey, this, the, you know, the, tables, the, the, the legs on this table are too tall. I need you to cut this down or... This is not going to fit where we want to put it. It needs to be cut down or it's not smooth enough. You're going to have to redo that or whatever. Jesus had people who weren't always happy maybe with his work when he did something for them, and they came back and said, hey, you're going to need, I need you to change that. I think he dealt with everyday real-life stuff. I think he understands when you go through something, he understands what it is that you go through. If you've got customers that you have to deal with, I think Jesus could say, I had customers. I know what that's like. I know what that's like. I think Jesus had unhappy clients. He had a bad economy. You know, I, he probably dealt with all that stuff. He gets it. it. It was on purpose that he came the way he came. It was just as important as the preaching and the healing and the teaching that he did and the dying. Jesus was a man, a human. He had skin. He had calluses and blisters. He got up early and went to work. Hebrews 4 tells us this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. I'll say that again. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. I'm trying to help you understand this about Jesus so that you can relate to him differently. Because if you really understand that he came to, to relate to you, you, and if you understand that he knows what you're going through, you will talk to him differently. You will relate to him. You will pray differently. Everything will be different if you will really see him the way he really is. The third thing I want you to understand, he understands pain. He understands pain. 
Some of you are here today and you're, you're in pain, maybe emotional pain. And, and, and it, you just, you know, there's just stuff going on in your world and it's, it's eating at you. It's, it's hard. It's something that you maybe carry every single day. You can't put it down. It's your thing. And you have to carry it. Jesus understands what that's like. He understands what it is to have, have a, a, an emotional pain, to have things that keep coming back and keep coming back that you have to deal with. And, and somehow Jesus was able to do it and not worry. It makes us worry, those things that keep coming back, and we worry about it and deal with it. No, I'm not going to worry about that today. And it just will not let you go, will not let you go. Jesus had to deal with that. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, he was despised. This isn't somebody when they saw him coming that, that they said, oh, here comes Jesus. Come on, Jesus, come be with us. Much of the time, Jesus was not welcome. Much of the time, he was rejected and despised. The Bible says that long before the crucifixion, he was already experiencing excruciating emotional pain. Who knows what he experienced on the playground? You know that the little kids talked about him. Yeah, that's Jesus. He's different. Yeah, you know where he came from. Yeah, we, we know about his family. And we know that whole story, and I'm not really sure about the whole thing. Who knows how Jesus was picked on and, and picked out of a crowd? That's him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. I want to talk to the kids in the room for a minute. If you're a kid in the room this morning and you're going to school, and you're big enough to be a bully, don't be a bully. If you're big enough to be a bully, go to school and defend those kids that aren't big enough to defend themselves. Don't let people go through that. And if you are the person who's experiencing a bully right now, here's what you need to understand. Jesus knows what that feels like. I know what that feels like. I've told you how little I was. Little old kid. I got picked on. Every day when I was in the fifth grade, I had a kid named Petey Schaefer that chased me home from school. Every day. This kid had polio. He had, he had braces on both legs. He could hardly walk. But that somehow, maybe my little legs weren't long enough. I don't know. I just, it was all I could do. I mean, the minute the bell rung, man, it was like I shot out of a cannon. I was running home. And Petey was right behind me. I'm going to catch you. I'm going to beat you up. I was never so happy to get on my own green grass, you know, when I finally, and, I, and then I'd get to my front door. <laughs> Petey was going to beat me up. Jesus knows what that feels like. He knows what it is to have people not like you. We sang about him today. We sang some beautiful things, but don't lose sight of this. He was despised and rejected. Maybe you're not quite athletic enough. You know, maybe you're the one that, that, that just can't seem to perform and you can't seem to make the team and you get cut. Maybe that's you. He knows what that feels like. Maybe you're the one that can't quite make the grades. You know, you just, you just see, can't seem to get it like the other kids do and it just doesn't measure up. He knows what it feels like to, to want to be the in person and not be the in person. I told, I told him in the first service, my dad, <laughs> my dad, uh, is a truck, was a truck driver. He's a retired truck driver, and he, he only made it to the eighth grade. He had to quit school and, and help his dad wire houses. It was tough times, and that's just what he had to do. So he's really proud of my brother and sisters because we went to co high school and really proud of me because I went to college. He's just so proud of all that. But 
You know, when you, when you, um, and my son Tanner is fairly smart. Um, he just got the stuff in the mail. He's been asked to be in the, he's been, he can be in the honor society, which is big stuff in the Wilson house because that, that ain't never happened to us. You know, it's like, it's, well, what is that, you know? The, the story is that when my little brother graduated from high school, I was sitting next to him and mom was on the other side and you know they give you the yellow tassel and the banners and things that you can wear and and dad had watched all of us kids graduate four of us and so when it was Scott's turn you know he's watching everybody pass by and once in a while he'd see the he'd see the honor society banners and and the tassels and all that and he (laughs) he leaned over to my mom and he said what's some yellow things them kids got on their caps down there mom said well that's the those are the kids that made it into the honor society those are the really smart kids he said, come none of my kids never had one of them, them things on their hats like that. Because <laughs> you got a bunch of stupid kids, Dad. I don't, you know, I mean, we just didn't, we just didn't quite get, get it. We just didn't, couldn't quite get to that level. And so if that's you, you know what? God knows. Jesus understands. He gets it. He knows what it is. He knows what it is for you to go to work and work your tail off every day and not get the promotion. He knows what it is to get passed over. He can relate with you when you go to work and you work your tail off and somebody else gets the gig and somebody else gets the accolades and somebody else gets the the, the nice things said about them. He knows what it is to be rejected. The Bible says he was despised and rejected by mankind. It goes on, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. You know what that means? That means, I think it means he wanted to cry himself to sleep some nights. Now, I don't know whether he did but I know there's times in my world where I want to cry to myself to sleep at night. And I'm sure that's where you get to. Jesus knows what that's like. I think there's times in our life that Jesus would look at us and say, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. That's hard. I remember exactly what that feels like. That's tough. I, I, I feel what you're going through. And that's just the emotional pain. We're not even talking about before the, you know, when it, that's before the crucifixion you come to the crucifixion and then you've got that the worst experience that a person could go through of all time in history that's just the most brutal way to be put to death was the crucifixion think about this he could have picked any time in history to have come to planet earth he could have picked any time he wanted ask yourself this question why did he come when he came why did he insert himself in, into human history when he did? I think it may have looked something like this. I think it could have very easily have been him and God overseeing all of history, looking at what was going to happen. And he looked down at that time and he said, Hey, Dad, look right there. Look right there. That's, that's, where, we, that's where I need to go, right there. Because that's the place in history where they rip the flesh off your bones and they nail you to a tree for capital punishment. And that's as bad as it gets right there. Oh, you could put me down here in 2011, but they just do a lethal injection down here, and that's not nearly as bad. Dad, this right here, this is where I need to be because that's, that's, that'll show them. That'll show them that I really love them, that I really care, that I really know what they go through. That, th- Dad, that's, that's the place where I need to be right there. That, that'll show them that I love them. I, I can easily see... Jesus saying put me in that spot because I want them to know that I know what it feels like to feel pain so the next time you hurt or you have a headache or 
you've got a back pain or something, you just remember Jesus knows what it feels like to feel pain. He's not some judgmental, faceless God that cannot relate to you. He understands. The Bible says it this way, Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought, pe- that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. He went through torture so that he could say he understands. All this means is that Jesus is qualified to be your best friend. All it means is that Jesus is qualified to be able to say, oh yeah, I've been through that. I know what that feels like. My desire is that you would know him today in that kind of way. Proverbs says this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. What that's basically saying is if you have lots of friends and lots of family, you'll eventually be let down. I I say this to you all the time. If If you hang around with me long enough, I will let you down. I will let you down. It's true of all of us. If I hang around with you long enough, you you are going to let me down. It's just the way it is. But then the verse goes on to say this, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That friend is Jesus. Jesus is my best friend. I want you to be able to say that this morning. I want to encourage three responses out of you, and then we'll close. The first response is this, make him your friend. You Facebook people out there, and I know you're out there, because <laughs> you all do use some Facebook now. You need to friend Jesus. You need to change your, your updates, your relationship status to Jesus is my BFF. You, know? you need to do whatever it takes to, to make that connection in your mind, this is my best friend. You need to know him. You need to talk to him every day. You need to spend time with him. I want you to know him as Jesus, the Savior, but I want you to know him as Emmanuel, the one who came to be with us. Up close and personal, my best friend. A lot of you think that that Jesus can't be a friend, but you need to know that he thinks of you that way. Listen to this, John chapter 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. See, you're not some pawn. You're not some puppet in some game that God's playing. He doesn't want you to be some kind of angelic servant. He's already got all that. This verse goes on. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. He wants to be in that kind of relationship with you. He wants to be your friend. Make him your best friend. Number two, talk to him. If he understands relationship and life and pain, then talk to him. Some of you need to quit talking to Jesus in this formal way, like you're trying to make your prayers all pretty. Okay, stop doing that. Just talk to him. You know, it's amazing to me. People will come and sit in my office and talk to me, and and they'll tell me from time to time, Brett, you're so easy to talk to. You know what? Jesus is just like that. I tell people all the time, talk to him just the same way you talk to me. He wants to be your best friend. Can you imagine? And and some some people do this. When they pray at night, they say, oh, I say my prayers every night. And you know what the prayer is? Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. Now, there's nothing wrong with that prayer unless you're praying it every single night. 
Imagine if you were in a relationship with somebody and they only said the same four sentences to you every time they saw you. That wouldn't be much of a relationship. And yet, that's what we do with Jesus. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. What else am I going to say? I don't know, but I thank you for this day. I'm, I'm thankful for the day. You know, I think, I think God would Jesus says, hey, just talk to me. I, I have a 14-year-old daughter. How many of you have a cell phone and do not text from your cell phone? Let me see. Do not text from your cell phone. All right, now watch this. How many of you have a cell phone and do text from your cell phone? Now watch this. How many of you have a cell, how many of your kids have cell phones and they text all the time from their cell phone? Absolutely. It's crazy. My daughter, from the moment she gets up, until at night when she goes to bed and we finally have to say, turn the phone off. I pick her up from school. She's, she's texting. I'm like, who are you? you just got out of school. Who are you talking to? Lucy. Now who are you talking to? Andrea. Now who are you talking to? Mom. It's crazy. It's, it's ongoing. You know what? We need an app for our cell phones to be able to talk to God sometimes, I think. And just, you know, is there an app for that? Would that help us? You know what? It probably would make things more real if you were able to text Jesus. I bet it would improve your prayer life. I bet it would. I'm so mad right now. Well, why are you mad? Because my teacher does not understand me. Well, what doesn't your teacher understand? She doesn't understand that I stayed up late last night with another class, and I got a friend that's having trouble, and my mom was yelling at me. Oh, I'm sorry. I hate it that you're going through that. I know it's got to be hard. You see what just happened? When you get real and you have a real conversation with Jesus, all of a sudden, it's like, man, that makes sense. Listen, whatever is on your plate this morning, whatever's on your mind, whatever's hard for you, sit down in your chair, close your eyes, and talk to him like he is your best friend. Just talk to him. Don't try and dress up your prayers. That's nonsense. God is not impressed by your big words. I don't know if you pay attention or not, but when I'm preaching to you, I do not use great big huge words. It does me no good to use great big huge words that people don't understand. I'm trying to get you to understand a very simple message. So I, I don't use big words. And if I do use them, I tell you what they mean. You don't have to impress God. Listen, God's already impressed by you. He wants a relationship with you. So talk to him. See, I think one of the things that happens is the Bible says that, that do you know where Jesus is right now? The Bible says he's at the right hand of God. And the Bible says that he is interceding on our behalf. So what that looks like is, is it would be like Jesus and, and God watching us go through life. And I think that there are times that it might sound like this. Hey, Dad, look, see that right there? See what they're going through right there? I, I remember that, Dad. That's hard. That's hard. I remember exactly what that feels like. And, Dad, I, I know they, they're not... They're not doing it exactly right. And yeah, that's sin. But, but Dad, I paid for that. I, that's exactly why I died, that right there. And I know how hard that is. The Bible says that Jesus intercedes for us. Here's what you need to understand this morning. Jesus is not against you. He's for you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. If there's one thing I fight and fight and fight to get adults to understand, it is that Jesus is crazy about you, and he wants a relationship with you. 
And he came to this earth and he lived his life and he experienced what he experienced so that when you come to him with your problems, he can say, I know exactly what that's like. I know. The Bible tells us we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Hebrews chapter 4. Why? Because he knows. He understands. But what if I do? What if I do tell God everything? What if, I, what if I tell Jesus the worst things that are going on? What if I tell him what I've done? He'll love you. You'll get grace, mercy, help, grace. I'll, I'll get what I don't deserve. That's what grace is. You'll get mercy. I will not get what I do deserve. And I'll get help. All that I need. He intentionally spent 30 years just being a person so he could understand what you and I go through. You won't get judgment. You won't get someone who doesn't understand. Make him your best friend. Talk to him. And then finally, trust him with your life. If you've never given your life to Christ, I'm telling you right now, you need to do that. You need to do that. I don't know what it is about Jesus that scares people to death. It's like, oh, <gasps> can't give Jesus my life. Listen, that's the smartest thing you can do. And if you're wondering what that looks like and what that's going to entail and what that means, come talk to me or someone sitting close to you. They can explain it to you. But stop running from God. Stop running from the one person who knows you better than anybody else and understands what you go through and can give you the help you need to get through life and make it make sense. Listen, when all the chips are down and when it's all going south for me and I don't have any place else that I feel like I can go, the one place I can go is to the arms of Jesus. And I hear him say, I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly what that's like. If you don't have that, you're missing out. And you need to give your life to Christ. In just a moment after I pray, we're gonna, I'm going to take some confessions and we're going to have baptisms back here after the, uh, after the uh, meal. You guys, we're going to wait and let you guys clear out and then we're going to do baptisms. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to take some confessions. Then we're going to sing. Let's pray together. Father, I give you thanks that you in your wisdom realized that we needed a Savior we could relate to. We needed somebody that was going to be able to put skin on and go through the exact same stuff so that when we go through these things and we think we're all alone, we're really not. And when we pray and we pour our hearts out to God, you get it, you understand, you know how hard it is. And Father, just it's testament to how much you love us. It's, it's testament to how far you were willing to go that you picked that particular time in history to come and die for us. It says everything about you. We're so thankful for you. We're so thankful that we can be forgiven. That grace and mercy are ours. So Father, this morning, find us as a faithful people. Find us as a very thankful people for having loved us the way you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. This is Jay and Michelle Funkhauser. They have two kids, Evan and Erica.
and sometime back we met in my office and we just talked about uh, life and faith and church and um, it's a whole new deal for Jay and for Michelle it's it's a, she's got a faith journey but they both have reached the conclusion that they want to be baptized and so um, today is the day we're going to do that so I'm going to take your hands and, and just ask you to repeat after me I believe Jesus is the Christ the Son of the Living God. And upon that confession, we will baptize them after you guys kind of vacate back there after you've eaten. Take your time and eat what you need to eat, but uh, then we'll do some baptisms. And I promise you, I'll have video to show you. Uh, let's pray and then we'll sing, all right? Father, I give you thanks for this family. And I pray, Lord, that you would help this family to reach their full redemptive potential. Oh, the things that you could accomplish through people who give their life to you. Thank you, Father, for loving us, for forgiving us. None of us in this room are perfect. We all mess it up. But it does not prohibit us from coming to you. In fact, you throw out your arms and you, you, you long for our embrace. You long for us to run into your arms. That's what Jay and Michelle do today. We give you thanks that we can even talk that way, that we can even think like that. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray.